Amen. First Peter chapter one and verse six. And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Now, we have been seeing these um, moral qualities uh, and looking at them together that Peter lists for us in these four verses, and we were pausing a little on godliness, and we were last speaking a couple of weeks ago about godliness in the home. And so I want to continue uh, with that theme here tonight, godliness in the home. Primarily, I want to look at both with regard to children and their duties as children to their parents, but also parents with regard to the children. Now, of course, we know that godliness uh, means, among other things in children, that they are to obey their parents. The Apostle Paul, boys and girls, tells us this in a couple of his letters. He repeats it uh, both in Ephesians and in Colossians as well. So children are to obey their parents under the Lord. This includes young children, teenagers, and even, I would say, young adults, especially young adults receiving financial support uh, who have not established uh, their own households uh, completely. They are to obey the, their parents in the Lord. This is godliness. Uh, the Bible says this is right. And so obedience to parents is a matter of faith in Jesus Christ. In some ways, you could say that this is where, as we say colloquially, uh, the rubber meets the road. This is where the tire meets the pavement. Uh, it, it is in our duty as children to parents uh, and our honor of those parents, how we, one of the ways in which we honor the Lord. Now, Jesus told us of this uh, himself in a parable. He uh, spoke of two young sons or young men, and uh, their father told them to go do something in the vineyard. And the first one said yes to his dad, but he did not do as he was commanded. And his other uh, sibling said no to his dad, but then regretted what he said to his dad and went and did it. And Jesus asks us, who is the worthier son? And it was the one who actually did as his father commanded. Now, of course, we don't want you to say no and then obey, boys and girls. We want you to say yes and obey. But the point is that the obedience of the one who actually did as his father desired, was the one who was more pleasing to God. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 51, we are told that Jesus himself in his human nature submitted to his parents. So think about that for a second, that Jesus Christ is a real child and a real young person without any sin, of course, and he uh, subjected himself to Joseph and Mary even though Jesus, we know, was sinless. In some ways, he was superior to his parents in his humanity, you know, in that his parents were sinners, and he was not. And yet, for the sake of righteousness, for the righteousness we take to heaven with us when we appear before God, he submitted himself to Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary both were sinners in need of the future death of their own son. 
uh, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to have their sins pardoned. And yet, how does God accomplish that salvation for Joseph and Mary? He accomplishes that salvation in that God ordained that Jesus would obey his earthly parents. So Jesus sets an example for all young people uh, by this obedience. Now, if we are to be godly young people, then our obedience needs to be from the heart. Godliness is what God desires within us. So we see, for example, in Luke chapter 15, that where we speak about the prodigal son as though he had the problem, really both sons had estrangement issues from their heavenly father. This, of course, because Jesus is using this parable to represent the Pharisees on the one hand that he saw in the audience and also the sinners in the audience. And so Jesus tells this story of an older brother who didn't leave the farm. And yet when his younger brother asks for his inheritance and then lives riotously, um, he, of course, the younger son comes back destitute and the father, you know, throws a party for him. Well, this causes the older brother to be incensed. And the older brother complains that he never got a party, even though he does all the work. What was the issue here? The issue was that his heart was not right. Even though he never left the farm, the older brother shows that his heart was not right in that when his father shows grace to the younger son, um, that the older son does not rejoice in his brother who once was dead and now is alive again. So what are we to do if we are to have godliness as young people? Well, the first place we have to go is to the Lord. If your heart's not right, then you need to go and ask the Lord to make your heart right before God. If you do not have a right spirit within you about your obedience, uh, then you need to start there. Uh, The Christian life as Dr. Sinclair Ferguson has said, it is not a life that is to be done with gritting your teeth and willing it up. It is rather to be done as one who has a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. You go to God as your Father and you say, Father, help me. My spirit's not right. My heart is not right. And I need grace, Lord, to make my heart right, so that I will do the things that I'm supposed to do, but do it in a right manner, in a cheerful way, in a way that pleases you, in a way that you see. You see, we're not just supposed to do things that please men as man-pleasers when their eye is upon us, but as those who know the omniscient God is looking at our heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, Are we sometimes like the younger brother who runs away and dishonors the family, disobeying parental authority, squandering his benefits and blessings secured by his parents, by his own foolishness? Well, if that be you, you need to go back home. I don't mean that just in a literal sense, but your heart needs to go back to your heavenly father. And you need to learn obedience that comes by way of faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, obey your parents. And you have said in your heart, I will not. 
And you've demonstrated that by leaving. Um, you have shown yourself not to be merely disobedient to your parents, but to Jesus himself. This is maybe a question we should maybe ask when we do communicant membership exams. Are you obeying your parents? Are you improving in your obedience to them? Now, obedience also means listening and following counsel. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. Proverbs is a good place to start uh, young people because uh, this is a book that was written for young people to help you have wisdom. Um, we see in Jeremiah chapter 35, um, as Jeremiah goes about his ministry, very interesting that God tells Jeremiah to go to the Rechabites and talk to them. And, um, and, and you say, why did God single out this family? Well, he did so for an example for all of Israel. Now, who are the Rechabites? The Rechabites were part of the nation of Israel, but they had decided <clears throat> through uh, Rechab, their father, that their father said, we, we don't want to compromise and lose our faith in God. And so we're going to live very simply. Now that's a choice that believers can make. It doesn't mean everybody must make it. But, but we want to live so simply that our family would not be turned away from the Lord by the world. And so we're not going to build homes. We're going to live in tents instead. And we're also not going to partake of alcohol. Okay? Now, again, this is a matter of liberty, but this is the part I wanted you to hear. So God says to Jeremiah, go, gather them together, get the Rechabites together, and put some wine in front of them and tell them to drink. And, and they said, well, we can't because we said that we would obey our father uh, in this. And the, the point was, here are these people who will obey their earthly father, and yet God is asking all of Israel, where is your respect and honor of me? These people obey their earthly father, and I'm your heavenly father, and you won't listen to me. Now, again, the point was not to say that you have to live in a tent or you can't drink wine and be a true follower of the Lord. It's just simply saying here that this particular family was willing to honor their father and, and uh, his request for this. So obedience is something to be observed even if it goes against our grain. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said that Esau obeyed his dad when his dad, when his dad told him to get some venison uh, but that's because Esau liked hunting. Yet his parents told him to observe greater things, such as not to marry the women of Canaan, and he disobeyed. So it's not just when it goes with your grain uh, that you obey your parents, but even if it goes against your grain. Now also, the Bible says that if we are to live godly lives in the home, we not only obey, but we have to honor Honor our parents. Now, this, of course, is not just for children, but for adults as well. Adults have to honor their parents. Um, now, that means something different, obviously, for an adult than it does for a child. But nevertheless, the fifth commandment is binding on us all. 
Um, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, says this, Everyone of you shall reverence his mother and his father. So you note here that the mother is mentioned first, interestingly enough. And uh, some Puritan commentators have said that this is because that the mother has more occasion uh, to be slighted by her children than fathers do, just because they have to interact more with the children. So the Leviticus here says, honor your mother first and your father. Honor is given to the mother um, because of this uh, temptation to dishonor her more frequently. Rebellion, we are told against this commandment, is rebellion against God Almighty. Uh, the individual, the church, the culture, the nation that do, does not honor their mothers and fathers as a culture under the wrath and judgment and curse of God. A society that does not honor its parents, whether biological parents or uh, parents of age, parents of uh, status, those who are in authority over us, uh, do not have the promise to live long in the earth. Honor is to be accorded to parents, to teachers, pastors, elders, police officers, representatives of the state, those who are in authority. Um, they are to be honored, and, uh, and that is a part of what godliness looks like. Uh, now, Daniel's friends, you'll remember, would not bow to the graven image set up by Nebuchadnezzar. Did they dishonor the king? Well, no. Uh, they honored God first. So our honor is to be towards those to whom honor is due, unless it would be a sin. If they tell us to do something that would be sinful, then, boys and girls, then we disobey. Uh, and, uh, and, and they made that known. You remember how the young men made it known. We will not bow down, even if you throw us you know, into the furnace fire. We will not serve other gods. We will only serve the true and the living God. But we also in the Bible see examples where uh, people did honor their parents. In Genesis 28 and verse 7, uh, Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padam Aram. Uh, Jacob was 40 years old. If you go back and do the math, he's 40 years old. And, uh, but what was he doing? He was obeying his parents in an important matter of marriage, that we marry only in the Lord, that we do not take a spouse from the Canaanites, from non-believers. Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 2, in verse 19, Solomon, we are told, stood up in the presence of his mother, even though he was king and he seated on a throne. Joseph brought his children to Jacob, their grandfather, that Jacob would bless them. Jesus honored his mother while he's hanging on the cross. He turns to John and says, John, behold your mother. And he says to Mary, his mother, behold your son. Meaning, you know, John, you look after my mother. And, and um, so he honored his son, even as he's suffering the, the curse of God on the cross. But we also see tragic examples of dishonoring of parents. You remember, boys and girls, the story about Ham who dishonored his father Noah 
by looking upon his nakedness and then telling his brothers about it and mocking his dad in front of his brothers. And his brothers honored their father by covering Noah's shame, walking in backwards with a blanket. And because of Ham's dishonor, he was cursed of God. Esau dishonored his parents uh, by taking a wife in addition to the ones that he had from the daughters of Canaan. Rebekah was tired of the daughters of Heth, she said. But Esau forsook the covenant. Rehoboam dishonored his father Solomon by making a crude boast about his greater manhood than his father and that he would reign with greater ferocity and fierceness than his father. And Rehoboam ended up splitting the kingdom because of his lack of wisdom. Absalom dishonored his father David He told the people at the gate that they would get no justice from David as king and he would steal their hearts away. He said they could bring their claims to him and that he would give them the justice they sought. There was a young man in the Corinthian church, we are told, who dishonored his father and dishonored the church by sleeping with his father's wife. This was probably his stepmother. Um, The Apostle Paul said he judged that man from afar and handed him over to Satan and told that until that man should repent. We are to honor our parents uh, with our words. We are to speak to them reverently and about them. Thomas Watson says in his commentary on page 129, we are to take care that the tone of our voice is respectful. Um, we, we are to be careful what we say, but also how we say it. Uh, we are told in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Thomas Watson says this, quote, Oh, how many children are far from giving reverence to their parents. They despise their parents. They carry themselves with such pride and neglect towards them that they are a shame to religion and bring their parents gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Watson continues, Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say amen, quoting from Deuteronomy 27 and verse 16. Watson continues, Thomas Watson says, If all that set light by their parents are cursed, how many children in our age are under a curse? If such as are disrespectful to parents, says Watson, if such are as are disrespectful to parents uh, live to have children, their own children will be thorns in their sides, and God will make them read their sins in their punishment. That is, those who dishonor their parents will often find that God will visit them with judgment by giving them children who dishonor them and they can spend the rest of their lives reading their sins in their punishment. Now, if we want to honor our parents, we honor first our parents' faith in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, we do that by seeking to have faith in Jesus Christ ourselves. One of the ways you honor your Christian parents is by seeking Christ and seeking to obtain for yourself the same faith that they have 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing will give greater pleasure and honor to your parents than for them to see their children walking uprightly in the Lord, in obedience to his commandments, in faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. If you truly want to honor your parents, then honor the God and Savior of their of your parents, Jesus Christ. But also, secondly, by way of application, young people beware of imitating friends and classmates who speak negatively of their parents in order to seem cool to their friends. Our parents are to be honored by us even when our parents are not in our presence. Children who open up their parents' weaknesses to the world or exaggerate their faults or who censor their judgments among their peers are dishonoring their parents. Don't get caught up in that kind of talk or humor that is so prevalent, uh, making fun and belittling your parents in order to seem cool to your peers. Thirdly, if you have been failing to honor your parents, ask God and maybe your parents as necessary, for forgiveness. And ask God for grace to honor and obey them from the heart. If you have been guilty of dishonoring your parents, then you need to go to the Lord, seek his forgiveness, and if need be, also seek the forgiveness of your parents. If you're in a relationship that your parents have said not to be in, whether it's a relationship of the opposite sex or a friendship of the same sex who is yet a negative influence in your life, then you need to trust God and not pursue that relationship. Um, if you have been secretly uh, pursuing friendships with those that you know are dragging you down despite your parents' counsel, then you need to turn away from those relationships that are dragging you down. Many times I've seen this as a pastor. Just look at who their friends are and you see where they're going. Their vector is determined often by who they hang around. Now, I want to also talk about godliness with regard to parents and their children. Godliness with regard to parents and their relationship with children. Godliness in the home is dealt with also uh, by the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul says, that we uh, who are parents are not to provoke our children or to exasperate them. Matthew Henry comments on this uh, command not to exasperate our children. He says, though God has given fathers and parents power and authority, they must not abuse that power. Your children are, quoting Matthew Henry, quote, pieces of yourselves and therefore must be governed with great tenderness and love. Matthew Henry goes on, he says, Be not impatient with them. Use no unreasonable severities, and lay no rigid injunctions upon them. Matthew Henry uh, says, Caution, counsel, and reprove in a manner that does not lead to anger, to wrath, exasperation, a sense of hopelessness. Caution, counsel, and reprove in a manner that does not lead to anger, wrath, exasperation, a sense of hopelessness. Henry says, deal prudently with them. Endeavor to convince their judgments by working with their reason. 
John MacArthur uh, spoke uh, on this subject and said that uh, in the days of Rome, when uh, the New Testament was being written, he said there, that the, there was a Roman law called patria potestas, patria potestas. And that meant that a father virtually had life and death within his power, not only over his slaves, but entire household. He could cast them out of the house. He could sell them as slaves. He could kill them and be accountable to nobody. MacArthur says that newborn babies were placed at the feet of the father. As the father picked up the baby, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, the child was to be disposed of. The discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night from the town forum where they would be picked up and raised as slaves or prostitutes. It was a terrible situation um, that existed uh, when the church was just beginning to spread uh, throughout that, that region. Children that were born weak or deformed or were drowned. Um, MacArthur quotes a 1950 study by Harvard University sociologists Sheldon and Eleanor Gluck. Or Gleck. Uh, they developed a test, which they claimed had about 90% accuracy, to determine whether five- and six-year-olds would become delinquent. They discovered four primary factors that led to prevention of delinquency. Number one was the father's fair and consistent discipline. Fair and consistent discipline. Number two was the mother's supervision, supervision and companionship during the day. Third was the parents' demonstration of affection for each other and the children. Parents' demonstration of affection for each other and the children. And number four, the family spending time together in activities where all participated. Um, a Christian psychiatrist, Dr. Paul Meyer, had similar findings. Genuine love of parents for each other, firm, consistent discipline, consistency of standards for parents and children, the right example of parents, and the father as a true head of the home were often some of the best ways to raise up children. To provoke to anger when we don't show godliness towards our children can cause resentment to build within the child. I have a quotation here, and I failed. This might be MacArthur. I failed to cite the quotation, but the quotation goes like this. Well-meaning overprotection is a common cause of resentment in children. Parents who smother their children overly restrict where they can go and what they can do, never trust them to do things on their own, and continually question their judgment, build a barrier between themselves and their children. Children need careful guidance and certain restrictions, but they are individual human beings in their own right and must learn to make decisions on their own commensurate with their age and with their maturity. That might be MacArthur. I, I failed to cite the source there. Martin Lloyd-Jones Martin Lloyd on how to raise and discipline our children without provoking them to wrath. Notes, self-control, uh, the discipline over our own tempers in the rearing of our children. Um, he gives the illustration of somebody, Jones does, of somebody overcome with alcohol 
is an example of somebody who is out of control. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, do not discipline when you yourself are in a temper. A nice British way of saying it. <laughs> do not discipline when you yourself are in a temper. It does more harm than good. Um, we should not administer chastisement in a rage. Secondly, also avoid being capricious, says Martin Lloyd-Jones. Unpredictable and changeable behavior in parents is not a good thing. Where a child never knows what kind of mood you'll be in. Today the father is cheerful and indulgent. Tomorrow is all rage, says Lloyd-Jones. There should be consistency in reactions and in conduct. Avoid being unreasonable. Be willing to hear your child's case. Have a judicial temperament. Also, they say, avoid selfishness. Some parents think that their children exist for their pleasure. They do not view themselves as temporary stewards of their children, where the child or even the mature adult child is not allowed to have a life of his own. An unwillingness on the part of parents to sacrifice for their children. Fathers who don't give up toys uh, for the sake of more important, even necessary things for their children is a problem. When it comes to discipline, discipline must not be too severe. We must take care not to overreact to the lawlessness of our culture. John MacArthur says also avoid favoritism. We see in the Bible that Isaac preferred Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Avoid comparisons of the children, says MacArthur. Avoid pushing achievements beyond reasonable bounds, he also suggests. Fathers are particularly prone to this when it comes to athletics. Parents sometimes desire to live their lives through their children. MacArthur uh, tells a story of visiting a young woman who was a Christian and she was confined to a padded cell. Her mother had constantly been, uh, had pushed her constantly to be the most popular, the most beautiful, the most successful girl in the school. She became a head cheerleader, homecoming queen, later a model, but she was driven to despair through it all. The woman said to MacArthur, I don't care what I do. It never satisfies my mother. And MacArthur said that woman actually later did commit suicide tragically. The Bible says that we are to encourage. We are to show appreciation for the good along with correction. Failing to let children uh, develop at a normal pace can also be problematic. Then that also MacArthur says avoid manipulation using love as a tool of reward or punishment. God disciplines us out of love, even as he blesses us out of love. Children need to know that they are loved uh, when they are being disciplined. And then, of course, finally here, flee from all physical and verbal abuse. We, uh, we are not to overpower kids by excessive physical force, spanking too hard, spanking in anger, uh, or in a, in a spanking in inappropriate places on the, in the body. On the body, also we must uh, avoid verbal assaults that tear down and, and destroy. Here, also, um, Doug Wilson, who I don't always have um, been concerned. I've been concerned about him in some areas in the past, but when it comes to pastoral theology, um, I find him helpful. 
Wilson says, love your children by loving their mother first and foremost. Love your children by loving their mother. Love their mother by loving her children. Uh, he says, this is the central way the gospel will be proclaimed in your home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, teach them to love the standard, which is not the same thing as merely requiring them to conform to the standard. He says, teach them to love the standard. This is a function of heart loyalty. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. Give me your heart, my son, the proverb says. Not just give me conformity, but give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. He says, you teach them love by, excuse me. He says, you teach them to love the standard and to be loyal to you by loving the standard yourself and being loyal to them. Your garden, says Wilson, should be, uh, your garden should be a garden of yes. But it should have a tree of no in it. Not the other way around. Your garden is not a garden of no's with a yes tree in it. The Lord commanded man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. God is not a skinflint, says Wilson, and you should not paint him to be one. In Jesus Christ, all the promises are yes and amen, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. So resemble the God you serve. Then Wilson also says, give them, I like this, give them the Torah, not the Talmud. <laughs> now, what he means is give them the Bible, not all the commentary of the rabbis that goes around it. Wilson points out, he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. <laughs> love God and love others. The law of God is simple to understand. It can be easily summarized. If your rules are convoluted and Byzantine, says Wilson, then you have a problem. I well remember my father's summary of what he expected of us. Quoting his father, he said, No disobedience, no lying, and no disrespecting your mother. See, life is good. <laughs> Wilson goes on. He says, Acknowledge your children all need to be converted. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But he says, do not do this with unequal weights and measures. If you apply impossible standards to your children, you cause them to stumble. And Wilson says, beware of millstones. Um in causing them to stumble. Wilson also then says, sixthly, listen to them. They are people. It is possible to converse with them. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame to him. And then Wilson says, Their food, their shelter, their clothing take precedence over your toys. Exodus 21 verse 10 if he takes to himself another woman, he may not reduce her food, her clothing, or her conjugal rights. Remember their frame, for he knows our frame. God knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Don't skip naps. Keep them up till 1130 at night. 
withhold a real dinner and then paddle them for falling apart, says Wilson. Someone should paddle you, <laughs> he says. Wilson says also that families need to eat together. This is not just a refueling measure. <laughs> this is how families become companions. Liberality that results in table fellowship is a big deal in Scripture. Proverbs 11, verse 25. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He says, so why withhold it from your family? If half your meals are eaten over the sink, then you need to take stock of your situation. He then says, respect your sons and love your daughters. They are different, and those differences should be honored. Respect your sons, love your daughters. This obviously doesn't mean that you don't have love for your son or respect for your daughters, but it does tell you which way to lean. Wilson goes on, he says, tell stories together. Listen to, listen to stories together. The gospel is a story. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, we come to know one another as we come to know the genre. By telling stories, you come to realize that you are in one. He goes on. He says, provide your children with a Christian education. It must be a true education filled with life and laughter. The classroom is not a cauldron. He says, you should want your home full of scripture, a home full of joy, a home full of music. Godly child rearing is spirit-filled, and it cannot be spirit-filled without becoming a musical. And then he says, give children quantity time. Don't try and sub in guilt salve of so-called, quote-unquote, quality time. Give your children quantity time. And Wilson also goes on. He says, discipline should be a gift, not a grabbing. If you are retaliating against your children, then the whole thing is self-serving. He quotes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if any, excuse me, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you will not be tempted. Discipline should be judicious and not an occasion for you to jump to conclusions. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Sometimes kids can invite the injustice, and they bear the weight of it if they do. But fathers should fight to maintain justice in the home. Playing favorites with your children invites injustice. The point of discipline, says Wilson, is restored fellowship, Hebrews 12, 11. It is not retribution. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline is correction and and can cease when correction is accomplished. You don't make all your children spend the same amount of time in the tub for the sake of equality. <laughs> Divided discipline is dangerous. Fathers and mothers need to be together in on this. Scripture requires them to be honored together. Exodus 12, excuse me, Exodus 20, verse 12. They should work together. Don't allow your children to apply the tactic of divide and conquer. Then he says, prepare them for independence. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He says, do not make the mistake of indulging sin when it is little and cute, and then trying to crack down on it later when things start to look more serious. Let me close by a quote here from Matthew Henry. Thank you for your indulgence. It's a longer sermon than... There's a reason I started preaching at 15 after today. (laughs) But we'll close with this. Matthew Henry, he says, Bring them up well in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in the discipline of proper and of compassionate correction. And in the knowledge of, the du- of that duty which God requires of them, and by which they may become better acquainted with him, give them a good education, not only in bringing them up as men in nurture and admonition, but as Christians in the admonition of the Lord. Let them have a religious education, instruct them to fear sinning, and inform them and excite them to the whole of their duty towards God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the wisdom of the scriptures and of these uh, many teachers that we've heard from tonight. Help us, O Lord, to live in godliness in our homes. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to sing Psalm 101 as we close. Psalm 101, selection letter A. Psalm 101. Selection letter A. Let's stand together.